Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name is Bo. I'm Peter. And it's good to be with you this week. Uh, last week, uh, I was able to do a little bit of a blog, Peter. You weren't with me, but I kind of talked a little bit about um, my conversation with David Lay, which was cool. Yeah, I listened to it. Yeah. It's a bummer the audio didn't get I saved. I know, though, yeah. it is, totally. <laughs> I know, he had a lot of cool things to say, and he talks a lot. He has a lot of good, you know, he kind of gets on these rolls, and he just kind of goes, you know? So it would have been cool for people, I think, to hear it. You know, and to hear him and everything, but um, hopefully next time, man, <laughs> next time we'll get the audio right and we'll we'll be able to chat with him for a while, and that would be a huge blessing. Yeah, but it, you know, hey, it is what it was. You know <laughs> what I mean? But uh, he wrote an article called "Porn versus Religion: The Conflict Between Porn Use and Religious Values Is Making People Miserable." So, and uh, he starts off by saying, "People with strong religious beliefs are at lower risk for many behavioral health." conditions including drug and alcohol problems so how about that that's cool but stronger religious beliefs increase the risk of a person identifying themselves as addicted to pornography or struggling with porn use religion has a long history of serving to restrict sexual behaviors more religious people are likely to restrict their sexual fantasies have fewer sex partners express stronger disapproval of alternative non-traditional sexual behaviors from use of sex toys to homosexuality and use less pornography in general. So, anything you want to say in that first section? Yeah, I mean, uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. Really. <laughs> not really. Yeah, pretty. I think everything's pretty straightforward. Even though the the one thing I would say is, um, he says, uh, what you, for the listener there, he's he's getting at that uh, religious people with religions uh, usually identify themselves as an addict. And they struggle, they have more guilt and more shame um, because of their beliefs. Hmm. So so he goes on, but stronger religious values also increase the prevalence of greater levels of guilt about sexual behaviors and higher levels of sexual dysfunction in general. More religious therapists are more likely to diagnose porn addiction compared to other clinicians. Nowhere is the conflict between religion and sex more evident today than in the raging battle over pornography. Let's go on to the next page. The Journal of Sexual Addiction of Compulsivity has released a special edition where an entirety of the issues is focused on the convergence of religion and pornography and those who struggle with their pornography use. This issue represents a stunning game change from the past few decades of sex addiction and porn addiction treatment and theory, where issues of morality and religious values conflict were downplayed in favor of an overwhelming focus on the alleged dangers of porn, often described as though it is equivalent to a drug. This current issue directs focus on the true origin of this conflict in the grounds between religious sexual values and the ready available availability of sexual stimuli in the modern world. In 1984, Patrick Carnes, who's a Ph.D., one of the early founders of the leaders of the sex addiction movement, on uh, our two Phil Donahue. I don't know if you remember Phil Donahue. He had like a talk show. It's kind of like a Dr. Phil thing. Oh, okay. Okay. To Phil Donahue, that sex addiction was the result of an upbringing in a conservative Christian household with strict attitudes towards sex. 
Attention to this religio-sexual conflict has waned over the years, but is now resurging with new research. Researchers Grubbs and Hook have both published extensively on the connection between religious values and conflict over porn use. Together, they edited the issues, addressing and discussing the many issues that emerged in the collection of articles, pointing to the growing need to better understand the nature and treatment of this conflict between religion and porn use. The issue at large is a powerful collection of important, useful research and theory examining the question of how and why religion and porn use are continuing to generate such dramatic personal struggles. <laughs> so there's research on why people struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend folks review the entire issue but enjoy pointing out a few substantial findings and points below. So then they list, then there's a, a, a bunch of bullets on the different research that shows kind of basically why people are going, doing what they're doing. Hmm. But I found it, I found that fascinating is that people are doing research on why religion and porn use are, uh, why people struggle, hmm. you know, it's all, just think, just think if you put this in a different, like if it was like. I don't know. It could be anything. Gaming, food, right? Like, you know, researchers, they're they're doing a ton of research on why there's guilt when people eat a whole pizza. Yeah. <laughs> you know? When the obvious answer is they probably shouldn't have ate the pizza. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not good for them. You know? And it, that's the issue is like, you know, David Lay is bringing up that issue as like, is sexual promiscuity, what we used to call sexual promiscuity, is it okay? Hmm. And is it good? And is it is it just okay to do? Um, and because religion says, no, it's not good to eat the whole pizza, now the person's got guilt because they ate the whole pizza. Hmm. And is it really not good to eat the pizza that's what david's saying is it really it, could it be that maybe it's it's okay to eat the pizza mm. you know so that is always the big question right yeah and the the way the world goes about answering that is usually some scientific thing well you know it's you know you can get a disease with sexuality so that's why it's not good to eat the whole pizza or not to have sex or practice sexual promiscuity because you can get a disease but then science comes in and tries to fix that through condoms or whatever methods of protection. Um, we used to say, well, you can get pregnant out of wedlock and that's not good for the child. Uh, so you don't want to eat the whole pizza because it's not good because of that. Yeah. But then science comes in and says, hey, we, get, we got something that'll fix that called the pill. Hmm. Right. But for me and you, the reason you don't eat the pizza has nothing to do with science, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, what does it have to do with? Yeah, well, it has to do with what God says. Okay, yeah. so so the the guilt that comes from eating the pizza, right, is a guilt based off of actually the belief in God, yeah. right? That yeah. that David's saying, hey, if we just throw that out, maybe maybe that people it would be better for people. You know, because, but there's a problem with that, even, even in the biblical narrative, right? 
you know, and I can think of one, maybe you can think of another, but I think of that in Romans chapter one, hmm. you know, God tells us that he has, he has given us uh, man, he's been made man into his image and in his likeness, and they have a knowledge of the truth of God within them. But what man has done is they suppress that truth so that they can eat the whole pie, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so even if, even if we throw out off religion, we still have to somehow deal with this inner thing in us Hmm. that's constantly tapping at us saying, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. And that's not just a, that's not just a church or an institution that's creating the guilt. It's actually something that the Bible actually says is actually wired into us. Hmm. There's some no different than the wiring mechanism of pain. Uh, so when we stub our toe, there's a pain mechanism in us that goes something's wrong. Yeah, your toes hurt. So there's something else in us that goes, hey, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, and you know. Is there any other things you think of? Yeah, well, I mean, just to touch on what you already said, uh, I can't really think of any other things. But this is a, this is kind of the 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 war that we're in right now. I use the word war kind of lightly, but you know, the war that we're in in the secular society that we have, where you know both the secular and the Christian are just trying to explain the way the universe is. Like no one's really disputing the way it is. We're just trying to figure out how it was, how it came to be this way. You know, so that that works the same way of like creation. You know, did did God create or did time and chance happen? Uh, you know, when you look at diversity, did did God create diversity or did time and chance take place? Uh, when you look at the guilt that we all feel as human beings, did God make that or is this time and chance? Is this some sort of an evolutionary kind of thing to help us survive as a species? And um, what what we as Christians would say is like, well, no, like the reason why you feel guilt and shame, exactly what Bo said, is because you know that that thing is objectively wrong, that there is something wrong about it. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that you have the secular who's saying, well, like, yeah, it is wrong. Like there's no, there, there's no secular person that I know of that's trying to say that all sexuality is good. You know, it's all good. Like everything. Everything's good. You know, raping someone's good. Having sex with an animal is good. Having sex with your daughter is good. Having, you know, like that's, they're, they're not saying that. They're just saying that like, well, you know, there are there is right and there is wrong, but we must throw off God to figure out what it really is. And uh, the thing that we have to, I mean, that doesn't really, that's not an answer to the question, though. It's a dodging of the question, which it should be to most people, including David Lay, it should be something that's reprehensible to our to our intellect, because what we're saying is that like guilt exists and we believe that God has instilled guilt within us. And they say, well, well, we don't believe that guilt exists. We believe that it's from this other source. But you haven't given us any facts. You haven't told us why you believe it's from another source. You're just saying it is from another source. And that's that's not like I said, it's not a satisfying answer. And uh, we have to we have to think of like what what really makes more sense with the lying facts. You know, why is it that we believe that something is objectionally uh, objectively wrong when there is no objective uh, objectable reality? 
Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. When you look at, say, like the animal kingdom, you know, it's, it's you know, our, our most near cousins would be the monkey, would be the ape. And yet the ape doesn't seem to have any problems with things like rape, incest, um, you know, all these other things that an atheist would look at and be like, yeah, it's wrong. Apes don't really seem to have a problem with that. Apes don't, they're not monogamous at all. They have sex with tons of different partners all the time, and they just raise inside of a community. Especially if you're a bonobo yeah, monkey. Especially bonobos. And I think actually bonobos are even nearer to us really? than other apes. Yeah, those things, are, aren't they like pretty much... Yeah, they're free-for-all, man. They just they have sex with everything, man. Anything <laughs> just, and everything. Everything and everything, man. They, they, they like it. I think they're one of the animals that just enjoys sex. Right. You know? So they just, they just have sex uh for more than procreation and so they just go hog wild yeah and so that's that's our nearest kin so why why would i as a human being find that uh wrong and what a secularist would say is well well, maybe you don't actually find it wrong maybe you've been raised with that taboo and that's why you find it wrong um and that's that would be again that would be their argument yeah but what if you did that with other things yeah you know, like what murder. If you, yeah, yeah, what if you do it with other behaviors, yeah. right? Well, no, it's not really wrong. It's yeah. just you've been told it's wrong. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you can really say that with a lot of things. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah, you can say it with everything. <laughs> you know? You know, why is it bad to lie? Why is it bad right. to steal? Why is it bad to, you know, why should I give money to people that have been injured? You know, why should I help out somebody who's sick? You know, why, why should I do that? Why shouldn't I, uh, you know, have sex with a woman that's not my wife? You know what? You know, you, you could look at all sorts of things that people just take for granted of like, well, of course, everyone knows not to do that. Really? You know, like, I don't know a single child who just, you know, is like lies and then is like, oh, my gosh, you know, dad, I, I lied. And, and that's not right to do. Yeah. You know, like that's that's certainly something that has been developed over time. And, uh, you know, if we take we take for granted that that idea that like we believe all these things should be objectively wrong and objectively right, but we have no basis anymore Mm. and we want to pick and choose like a buffet, you know, like, well, I like I like that we believe that this is wrong, but I don't like too much the fact that we believe that is wrong. And so I'm going to dispute that. And that is the exact thing that we should expect, because that's what the Bible says the first sin was. Yeah. Was God gave us objective objectable right and objectable wrong and we said i think we want to make our own right that was the exact temptation of satan where he says you will be like god defining right and wrong and that's what we wanted to do we wanted to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong without listening to others yeah do you think there would be a better way for for you know the i think of these clinicians that they're trying to deal with the guilt of people in religious circles yeah but maybe they're missing something that they're not they're not thinking through, yeah. you know, maybe because maybe because of their being non-religious. I don't know. Yeah. But maybe they're missing something, because when I think of like, is guilt and shame really the thing that messes me up? Hmm. You know, is that really the thing that messes me up or other people when it comes to sexual promiscuity? Yeah. You know, because um, what began it? Because that's the obvious question I could ask a, a clinician is like, well, if guilt and shame are what's feeding it, what began it, though? 
Because obviously before I committed any of it, what is there to be guilty about, right? So guilt came second. The promiscuity came first. So you can't say that guilt is the cause because guilt is just an effect. Right, of right? what they did. Of what I've done. Right. So um, I could say that guilt certainly doesn't help what's going on in my life, but I can't say that guilt caused what's going on in my life. Yeah, but it's almost like, you know, it's like what they're dealing with is there's a religious person sitting down, right? saying, hey, I feel guilty, I feel horrible. And they're saying, hey, you know, as a clinician, they're going, gosh, you know, that I, you know, I have to deal with this person's guilt and shame. And because they maybe don't know the religion well, they just go, hey, the best thing to do is get rid of the sin. Hmm. Like if I can say that this is no longer a sin, hmm. then, hey, you don't have to worry, you know, you, know, you don't have to be guilty and shameful. Hmm. You know, uh, you know, that doesn't seem like the real proper way to go. Right. Is to negate your guilt by just throwing away your belief. Yeah. Though many of us have tried. Right. Right. Where we go, hey, you know what? I'm going to give up on God. Yeah. You know, because it seems easier. Yeah. You know, um, but there's a problem with that yeah. is that if you do that, <clears throat> You'll have to negate your atheism when you run into roadblocks with your atheism. Yeah, you just jump ship. Yeah, that logic could just will continue to follow you no matter where you go. Yeah. Because guilt isn't guilt isn't um, isn't something manufactured by a religion per se. It's something that's just wired in you, whether you're atheist <laughs> or whether you're a Christian. Yeah. You both can feel guilty. Yeah. You are made with the ability to comprehend and have the emotion of guilt right and shame right so it's like you're not it, to me you're not winning if you're a clinician yeah and you're saying to someone well hey let's just get rid of the religion yeah you know and the 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 deeper problem with that that you're mentioning is that you know let's say let's say i believe let's say i absolutely 100% believe what the clinician is saying and that guilt only comes from a standard so it's not from something in me it comes from something outside of me so someone sets up some sort of a standard of we should we ought to live this way and then whenever i fall short i feel guilty so the problem with that is if if that's true and the atheist tells me like okay the way that you deal with your guilt is stop looking to god as your standard right just look just don't look at that anymore and then you won't feel guilty well the problem with that is is that there's always going to be a standard around me, though. Another standard. There's going to be another standard. So if I'm not looking at God, the question is, well, what am I looking at? Right? Because how are you going to help me then? What's the point of this conversation? Right? If you're, if you're my clinician and you're trying to help me not go these sexual ways, what are you going to tell me I ought to do at that point? Are you going to turn to me and be like, hey, there is no God. So you know what? Just keep doing what you're doing. Like there's nothing wrong with it. At some point, you're going to have to set up a standard whether it's via science or whether it's via culture, but you're going to have to set up some sort of a standard to tell me you shouldn't live this way because. And then when you've done that, you've just instituted another standard of guilt. Yeah. So you haven't actually solved anything. Yeah, and I think what a clinician maybe is lacking, especially in dealing with Christians, is just what the Bible teaches. Hmm. And that is the issue to deal with my guilt isn't to get rid of the standard hmm. of God. And what he says, but it's to actually look more to God. Hmm. 
And so, like, I look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, hmm. teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Hmm. Um, so it, there's, a, there's something, a, a mechanism that it seems like they're missing, hmm. the clinician. Yeah. You know, and that is grace. Yeah. You know, he he doesn't he's not able to teach that person what grace is. Right. To help them through the guilt. Right. You know, cuz when I think of like stumbling into pornography and wanting to look at pornography or wanting to masturbate or things of that nature, um in my life um you know I think of, I don't think of um, removing God, but I think of, you know, God's gift of salvation. Hmm. I think of his love for me. Yeah. Um, and those are the things that the Bible says is it's God's kindness that leads me to repentance. Hmm. So it's his goodness that draws me to himself. Yeah. Um, because Jesus has covered our guilt and our shame on yeah. the cross. So the guilt and shame I feel from any stumbling into pornography is something that I'm to come to God with and recognize the work of Jesus on the cross and that I have someone who's an advocate, a lawyer on my side, that's Jesus, who stands in my corner of the court uh, defending me before my accusers. And all that is grace. It's it's all grace that's in my life to deal with the guilt and shame that I have. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and that's such a good point because, uh, you know, what what we're getting at, what we're saying is we would agree, like I would agree with the clinician in saying that guilt is certainly a problem to someone who's struggling with sexual problems right or any problems you know food yeah. eating whatever you know guilt is definitely not going to help you get out of it it will keep you down um but what we're saying is that maybe the cool thing about the bible is not that it it doesn't say that there's no guilt but maybe it offers a more elegant solution than what people think right because when you when you look at any other religion what you have or even you know even secularism because like i said you can't di discard the standard you can't just say we're going to live as humanity with no standard. Right. There is no like, oh, I'm not religious, so I don't have a standard. I don't have a standard of how people should live, right? So right. if, you know, when I see ISIS killing people on the news, I'm just like, well, they just have a different standard. Right. You know, and I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, no one does that. They're like, no, they shouldn't do that. Or when someone lies to me, I don't go like, oh, well, you just have a different standard, so I guess I can't judge you. You know, we all feel like something has happened that's wrong. So everyone has a standard. And what the Bible says in the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel gives us a standard that it clearly says that we have all, in Romans 3, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the standard. None of us can say that we made it because we all missed it. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's about a man, Jesus, who not only gave the standard but is the standard, lived up to the standard, and then after he lived up to the standard was persecuted and brought down and bore the guilt and shame of the people who failed to meet the standard yeah and through a relationship with him what it says in second corinthians 5 is it says he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of god 
So it means that Jesus bore all of my guilt and shame on the cross so that when I come to him, I can bear his righteousness. Right. He gives us his righteousness. That's right. So all of a sudden, like, as I learn how to do that and express my guilt and shame before God, he's going to teach me how to receive forgiveness, which is far better than self-justification. Right. Because if you start trying to figure out your problems by justifying them and saying they're not as big a deal as I thought, then not only does that give you no real standard to be able to change deeply and permanently, but it also doesn't usually tend to deal with people's guilt. Right. Because no matter how much you try to justify yourself, there's always going to be something deep inside of you that feels like you haven't done enough. Yeah, and it, it seems just so weird that a cl in clinical circles, I don't know if clinical is a word, but like clinical, right? Clinical yeah. circles, <laughs> yeah. That you think that they would they would want to, in a sense deal with someone's guilt by just channeling it the way that they're trying to do it with this article is by yeah. in a sense creating another whole problem yeah you know by saying oh you know what you really don't have to you know you, you know you don't have to feel this guilt and shame here yeah. you know because what that does is that 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 creates such a big issue in that person's life mm. because now you're teaching them not to deal with guilt and shame properly Right. And maybe there's things they need to feel guilt and shame over. Mm. And because I don't think any clinician would say that it's not good to feel guilt and shame at some point in life. Otherwise, you're a sociopath. Right. right? That's what they that's, would that's diagnose you, you as. That's right. That's right. Narcissistic <laughs> sociopathic. <laughs> Who doesn't feel bad about anything they do. Right? That's right. <laughs> they just do whatever. That, that's right. And no clin clinician would say that. Yeah. So it's like, it would be, that's why I found it weird in the article. I was like, it's just weird that they're like, man, we're researching like yeah. why these religious people are feeling guilty. Yeah. And the answer is, is because they are. Yeah. And see, and what's cool is the Bible tells us that, that, Actually, in Romans chapter 3, it says the whole world is guilty before God. Hmm. Or it might say that in Romans chapter 4. That's 3, yeah. Or is it 3? Yeah. yeah, where it says the whole world is guilty before God. You know, that we all, in a sense, in our heart of hearts, know that we're breaking the laws of God. Right. Well, you know, the standard, if you will, this invisible standard that seems like we, none of us can get rid of. Right. You know, though we try. And that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, C.S. Lewis in one of his talks, he said, the reason why I believe that the gospel is real is because he's like, imagine somebody crafted a beautiful symphony and you're listening to it. And every time you listen to it, you feel like something is missing. And then someone comes along and he says, the reason why it feels like something's missing is because something is missing and it's missing this sheet. And he said, how do you determine if that sheet really is the completed symphony? And he's like, well, all you can do is you got to listen to the symphony and see if it really does harmonize all of the, the different melodies inside of the symphony. And he says that's how we know that the gospel is true. Does the gospel harmonize everything that we feel is wrong with the world? And so here we have this problem that atheists, Buddhists, Mormons, Muslims, everybody on the planet agrees that we got a guilt problem. And Christianity agrees as well. And you got to ask the question of, does the gospel, is the gospel that missing piece of music that harmonizes the way we feel with the way we want to live? And it absolutely does, right? It's the only religion that says that there is a standard, but the standard came down for us, died for us, and that's what raises us up to live the way that we ought to. Mm. Otherwise, you just, 
you've never really dealt with the guilt problem. You've just either incorporated tolerance, which tolerance to a high degree is going to make people um, subjective when it comes to their morality and they're just going to live the way they want to. Um, or you're going to deal with it with condemnation, which is just going to make people feel more guilty and they're never going to change anyway. Hmm. Right. So only the gospel, right, as Blaise Pascal said, only the gospel can harmonize a man's pride and his guilt. Right. It could take away my despair and my pride simultaneously. Yeah. And therefore must be true. Yeah, that I mean, it's great because I, I, I relate to the article in that I'm a religious person, you know, per se, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, we work with a lot of guys that that have guilt and shame and they're dealing with that all the time. But I think me and you, our remedy for them would, is never, hey, man, it's OK. You know, it's okay what you're doing. Yeah. Um, even if I think we said that, it would be very difficult for them to, 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 to agree with that. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but the remedy always comes back to grace. It always comes back to what is the grace of God mean in a person's life. Mm. And, uh, so I thought it was a cool article, porn versus religion. Very interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoyed reading it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's for sure. So we hope you guys are doing good in your walks with God, and uh, love to take down your questions too. So thanks for listening. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries. Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.